from deep inside your radio or other audio device. Hello, everybody. Um, ladies and gentlemen, I thought once you get an honorary doctorate, it, that was it. That was like it, it was like diamonds. It was like forever. I I didn't realize that um, they can take them back. Did you know that? Did you know that? Honorary doctorates? Apparently so. Hollywood Reporter, which reports from Hollywood that uh, the University of San Francisco, a Jesuit Catholic school, there's a redundancy there somewhere, has revoked the honorary degree it presented to Bill Cosby in 2012. The school announced the decision this week on the same day that Brown University... What can Brown do for you? It can retract your, your honorary doctorate, apparently. It revoked the Doctorate of Humane Letters, well, that it had granted to Cosby in 1985. I don't think those were the letters he was writing to those girls, humane letters, but I, that probably is the premise for the... And this is days after Fordham and Marquette universities rescinded honorary degrees they gave to Bill Cosby. So apparently, and I have one... I've received one honorary doctorate of, you know, honor, honorary, honorary nothing. Um, and now, all of a sudden, I didn't get a thing that said, well, if you, if you drug girls, and I didn't get that memo. So now I really have to be careful. Ladies and gentlemen, news of our freedom-loving friends in Saudi Arabia. We just call that because the Brits put the Saud family in charge. Otherwise, it was before that, it was just Arabia. Did you know that? You're welcome. Speaking of the Brits, the United Kingdom and Saudi Arabia both serve on the United Nations Human Rights Council. I'll pause for laughter. That's an influential watch, watchdog group. Well, who let that dog in? A watchdog group for abuses around the, wor- around the world. The two nations may have achieved that status by unlawful means. This is reported by a website called Quartz. Com. Leaked documents obtained by the Australian newspaper called The Australian. That's, it's an Australian newspaper called The Australian. See what I'm saying? Owned by Rupert Murdoch, show that the United Kingdom and Saudi Arabia exchanged money and votes to get each other elected to the Human Rights Council two years ago. Saudi Arabia's ambassador, as you may know, was recently appointed to head the Human Rights Council. This aroused fierce opposition from critics who point to the kingdom's questionable human rights record, including its recent verdict to behead and crucify a 21-year-old activist. They are the, the great beheaders of our time. Somebody's got to be somebody's got to be number one in beheading. You know, who would you who would you choose? Come on, Mexico? Nah, they're killing us already. The alleged vote trading happened in November 2013 in New York. <laughs> Figures, doesn't it? During, oh, sorry. During the session to elect uh, nations to the current membership to the Human Rights Council, discussion of the vote trading scheme happened over diplomatic cables between the two countries in January and February of 2013. The Australian newspaper, called The Australian, and UN Watch, a non-governmental body that monitors the UN, translated the Saudi cables and what they found was that Britain asked Saudi Arabia to support its British candidacy to join the human rights group. Saudi officials responded 
by offering their support in return for British support. It's a quid pro quo. The ministry might find an opportunity, said the cable, to exchange support with the United Kingdom where the Kingdom of Saudi Arabia would support the candidacy of the United Kingdom in exchange for the support of the United Kingdom to the candidacy of the Kingdom of Saudi Arabia. It's just kingdom to kingdom stuff. You don't have to worry about it. It's K to K. In another cable, though, Saudi Arabia paid $100,000 to the U.K. for unspecified expenditures related to nominating Saudi Arabia to the Human Rights Council. I believe that's... uh, those, are, those expenses are related to uh, swallowing it, uh, pride. Those are f- swallowing pride expenses that the Saudis had to pay to the U.K. But, you know, it's all been in it. It's all been it. Now, um, you, uh, on, a, on a more upbeat note, perhaps, if, if, that doesn't, if that doesn't brighten your day enough already, we had news from NASA this week that uh, the first real chemical evidence that there may be occasional or periodic liquid water on Mars uh, was made public by NASA. Uh, photographic evidence uh, that, and it's it's a it's a complicated thing. It's it's almost as complicated as John Shaft. That uh, perchlorate, which is a, a toxic substance, uh, it's but it's a salt, and um, they found evidence, and it's a salt that could be in liquid water and and these these geographical or geological features that have long been uh, theorized to be related to the flowing of water on the surface of Mars now have been um, aided in or they've been strengthened in the hypothesis by now the discovery of these chemical traces that could be related to liquid water they have not yet spotted liquid water and if they did how would you, how would you get the spots out this announcement by NASA of course resulted in a uh, fusillade of commentary by Rush Limbaugh. Remember him? He used to be big. That um, this was probably part of the administration's climate change agenda. That that NASA had calculated this announcement because it it was somehow going to help the... I guess because... uh, Because we don't need to fix the climate here, we can go to Mars? I, I don't even... I know, trying to parse Rush Limbaugh's logic can uh, pretzel you up for a day. But anyway, there. so now there's there's uh, this uh, more likely that NASA was making this announcement in an attempt to try to drum up support, which they do want to have for a manned mission to Mars. And NASA is, is known to want to pursue that. Of course, in, uh, in their current budgetary straits, they can barely send a man to Peoria. But so that this announcement may have been timed or somehow strategized to uh, promote that. Of course, to uh, get a, a, a program of manned spaceflight to Mars, you need more than a press release. You need a song. Hello, welcome to the show. Welcome on, let's go for a trip. some class
From New Orleans, Louisiana, uh, ladies and gentlemen, I'm Harry Shearer, welcoming you to this edition of the show. And now, we're not number one. It it may not come as a surprise to you that uh, the United States is not world leader in uh, broadband, uh, sorry, in uh, 4G mobile phone download speed. But here's proof, just in case you were wondering. Uh, New Zealand leads the world at uh, 36 megabits per second. That's, uh, that'll get you your Netflix stuff in a hurry. It really will. Uh, right behind New Zealand in the number two slot. Singapore. Well, of course, you can't spit on the sidewalk there. Romania. Romania. South Korea, of course. Denmark, Hungary, Austria, United Arab Emirates, Greece, ladies and gentlemen, Greece, 21 megabits per second. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. Ninth on the list. Greece. See what I'm saying? Australia, Spain, Latvia, Netherlands, Slovakia. <laughs> I'm, I'm three pages down the list here. Before I get to the United States, 10 megabits per second. Ahead of us, no, sorry, in the same category with, these are our, these are our companions in the mobile phone download speed, 4G download speed. Kazakhstan, Mexico, India. We're right ahead of Indonesia and Georgia. And at the bottom of the list, this would explain everything. Iran, they they haven't yet heard that George W. Bush isn't president. That's how slow their download speeds are. Anyway, just to uh, nail in the point, we're not number one. I know, we'll live. Um, now, ladies and gentlemen, some uh, news of the godly. Oh, by the way, uh, when I say that, I mean to say, and now, ladies and gentlemen... News of the Godly. Uh, uh, in case you got uh, too carried away with the visit of uh, Pope Francis last week and uh, all all goopy and and sweet about it, this will uh, this will straighten you out in a second. Dateline: Santiago, Chile. Pope Francis attacked critics who are protesting the appointment of a new bishop in Chile. The new bishop has been accused of covering up sexual abuse crimes committed by priests. Yeah, I know. It's nutty, isn't it? It's wild. The installation of Juan Barros earlier this year as the bishop of Osorno in southern Chile has been heavily protested by those accusing him of having protected Fernando Caradima, a priest the Vatican 
in 2011 found guilty of child sex abuse way back in the 1980s when it was good. Barros has denied the allegations against him. He's the uh, new bishop. But 51 members of the Chilean Congress sent a letter protesting his appointment to the Vatican. Parishioners in Osorno, some of whom opposed the nomination, had asked the Vatican for a message. And the Pope sent one. Quote, think with your head and do not be swayed by the unfounded allegations of lefties, unquote, Pope Francis. Uh, he, he continued in, a, uh, in footage broadcast by a local TV channel, quote, Osorno, this is the town or the, uh, yeah, the area where the, the uh, Juan Barros is now the bishop. Osorno is suffering from stupidity and for not opening its heart to what God says and for letting itself be carried away by the garbage everybody says, unquote. This is uh, three weeks after the Archbishop of Santiago asked for forgiveness after revelations and leaked emails that Chilean church officials had worked to cover up the Karadima case. I know, but he, he wrote in a fiat. And one more news of the godly note. Uh, you've, you've, I'm sure, been aware of the tumult aroused by the Russian decision to start carrying out aerial bombardments in Syria. Uh, now, the, the Russians, while the United States, uh, certainly some of the United States media, are calling this Russian aggression, the Russians make an interesting point. Um, as bad as he is, President Assad is still the legitimate head of the Syrian state, and he asked the Russians to come in. I know, it's, it's complicated. But the United States did meet with Russia, or actually representatives of the uh, countries met this week, John Kerry and uh, Russian Foreign Minister Sergei Lavrov, not lapdog, Lavrov, and they agree on some fundamental principles for Syria. That's what uh, Kerry said. Here's what he said. They agreed Syria should be a unified country, united, that it needs to be secular. That's what the United States and Russia agreed about the future of Syria. I would ask, could we, could we get that same agreement about the United States that needs to be secular? I'm just asking. Just asking, Mr. Kerry. That's all I'm... And now, news of our friend the Adam. Clean, safe, too cheap to meet. Safe, cheap, too cheap to meet. Cheap, safe. Eddie, how are you? I'm fine. I have a little surprise for you. Really? Yeah, play it. A giant of limitless power at man's command. Man is building a brighter future for his children and his children's children in the new world of the atomic age. You like it? Yeah, I love it. I love it. Thank you. Um, psychological stress from the accident at Fouke has remained around the same level as it was last year among mothers and children living in Fook City. Who says? A study. The stress levels have been dropping since 2011, the year the disaster started, but apparently bottomed out last year, according to surveys conducted by the Center for Psychological Studies of Disaster at Fukushima University. Well, who better? Indeed. 
Even after decontamination work is done, the radiation levels remain higher than in pre-accident measurements, said the director of the center. Residents have no choice but to be conscious about radiation in their daily lives, and such anxiety prevents the stress levels from dropping. Anxiety prevents stress from dropping. He's a doctor. Yeah, I know. I know. Go figure, right? Um, But wait, there's more. For the first time in Three Mile... Remember Three Mile Island? No, I'm I'm a young Adam. Really? Can't you tell? Count the rings. For the first time in Three Mile Island's 41 years of commercial operation, the nuclear power plant failed to gain a contract last month to sell, sorry, two months ago, to sell a year's worth of electricity on the regional power grid. So it's going to lose a major revenue source. In addition, it will be harder for TMI. Too much information? Three Mile Island. To find buyers for the electricity it generates during that period. Without the contract, there's no guarantee that the company's main customer, PJM, will buy any of the plant's electricity, according to the PJM spokesman. Well, he would know. You're, you're the master of the obvious today, aren't you? I try. The failed bid, along with other factors, raises questions about Three Mile Island's future. Nationwide, two nuclear plants closed in 2013 and 2014. TMI's owner, Exelon, well then, recently said it might close two plants in Illinois that failed to get contracts. Nuclear plant plants industry-wide face stagnant demand for power and unprecedented competition from natural gas. The magic of the market. Yeah. It's black magic in the market, apparently, for for the atom. Yeah, I'm doing all right. If a radiation leak had occurred at the Pilgrim Nuclear Station on eight occasions over the last three years, operators would have been forced to rely on the Weather Service to provide the meteorological information needed to tell them which regions were in danger of contamination. Weather service is good. Yeah. A routine check at the plant in August turned up four negative findings. This is in Plymouth, Massachusetts. While all four were considered of low safety significance, one of the more serious ones was related to plant security, something the Nuclear Regulatory Commission cannot publicly discuss. Nor can you. Nor can I. And the other was related to the plant's meteorological towers. Entergy, Pilgrim's owner-operator, was notified of the inspection results this week. Pilgrim has already been downgraded to among the three worst performing reactors in the country. Well, somebody has to be worst. It's no slam. It's true. They have two towers on the property to provide continuous readings on wind speed and direction and air temperature. In December 2011, Entergy canceled preventive maintenance on the backup tower, and it became non-functional. The backup is non-functional? Yeah, according to the NRC's letter to Pilgrim. As a result, on eight occasions between March 2012 and August 2015, when the primary tower was non-functional for various reasons, Pilgrim did not have instrumentation available on either tower for readings. So they wouldn't know which way the wind was blowing. Well, they could ask Bob Dylan. I guess. This isn't the first time energy has been cited for the broken backup towers. The NRC first noted the tower status following a routine inspection in late 2013. At the time, the federal officials said the finding was rated as low in safety significance because nothing bad had happened. Yet? Yet. The Pilgrim spokeswoman acknowledged the company's lack of action. Quote, the NRC accurately determined that the station response to restoration of backup meteorological monitoring was not timely. Unquote. Weather service is good. The weather service is good. But you got to call them, and they got to answer. The federal permit for the 
West Texas facility that is supposed to take most of the low-level radioactive waste from the demolition of the Vermont Yankee, you okay? Yankee nuclear power plant. The federal permit for that waste facility expires 20 years before Vermont Yankee is going to be decommissioned. Timing is everything in nuclear power. Members of the Texas Low-Level Radioactive Waste Disposal Compact Commission... That would be the T-L-L-R-W-D-C-C? It it is. It wouldn't be. It is. Told Entergy nuclear officials on Thursday that Texas waste facilities permits expire in 2045. Entergy gave the officials a group... uh, gave the group an update on its decommissioning plans since most of the demolition debris from Vermont Yankee will be trucked to the West Texas facility. Well, one of four such facilities in the country. The conservative estimate of when the company would finish the dem- demolition and cleanup of Yankee is 2067. Are you aware our license runs out in 2045? Said one of the members of the panel. What are you going to do if the compact closes? Said the member, referring to the West Texas facility. We would have to update the cost es- estimates of decommissioning, said the energy official. He said com- decommissioning could start as early as the 2030s, if there's enough money in the decommissioning trust fund. The uh, energy officials said other plants where he had worked on decommissioning projects had all been decommissioned immediately rather than put into what the NRC calls cold storage for decades. The choice to put Yankee into cold storage was energies and approved by the NRC. Keeps your sandwiches fresh. What? Cold storage. I don't... You think they're concerned about the sandwiches? It's safety. It's a safety issue. The energy official was taken aback by the 2045 deadline, but he said it would just force energy to recalculate its finances. I do that daily, and I have none. But you find that out daily. I do. It's always a surprise. Tokyo Electric Power turned down requests in 2009 by the Nuclear Safety Agency in Japan to consider concrete steps. Where they have wooden stairways? No, no, concrete steps against tsunami waves at the Fuk plant. Do you think you can stop the reactors? A TEPCO official was quoted as telling the a, a head of the now-defunct Nuclear and Industrial Safety in- Agency, who was then assigned to review the plant's safety. The exchanges between the plant operator and regulator came to light through the latest disclosure of government records on its investigation into the nuclear crisis, adding to evidence that TEPCO failed to make proper safety steps ahead of the world's worst nuclear accident since Chernobyl. The uh, safety official heard TEPCO's explanations of its tsunami estimates as it became clear that the coastal areas were hit by a massive tsunami way back in 869. That's before my time. I know, you're a young animal. I counted your rings while we were talking. TEPCO said the height of waves was estimated to be 26 feet above sea level and wouldn't reach the plant site. That's 33 feet. But the official said he remembered thinking pumps with key cooling functions, which are located on the ground, just 13 feet high, will not make it, and told TEPCO to respond. TEPCO said it would wait for related studies to be carried out, which it requested to be done by March 2012. In the interim, of course, Fook happened. Didn't Jeb Bush say Fook happens? I don't think that's what he said, but it could be, something like that. We are uh, about to violate one of its own one of our own nuclear treaties with Russia according to oil price magazine the uh, 
deal is in jeopardy, according to Bill Richardson, who was former U.S. Secretary of Energy and made the deal. This involves a commitment he made while Secretary of Energy in the Clinton administration with the Russians to dispose of weapons-grade plutonium. 34 metric tons of the stuff that the U.S. is bound by treaty with Russia dispose of by integrating it into nuclear fuel and burning it in civilian power plants. This is mixed oxide fuel, or MOX. Takes a lot of moxie to do that. I'm glad you said that. The Obama administration wants to end the program before a single scintilla of plutonium. Is that how they measure it? Yes. But it has been processed for fuel. It's seeking to pull the plug on the construction of the facility at Savannah River, which is now two-thirds complete and has already cost over $4 billion. The administration is looking not at the completion cost but at the lifetime cost of the facility, saying it's too high, although that could have been calculated years ago. The deal was signed by Vice President Gore with Russia in 2000. The Russians, for their part, are burning their su- surplus plutonium in fast reactors, which we do not have. Well, get one. Fast. The story may be about the deployment of federal dollars. Nuclear industry insiders believe the Department of Energy, which makes nuclear weapons and stockpiles them, wants to divert all available resources to its weapons refurbishment program and kick the plutonium can down the road. Richardson says, I don't believe this is a good course of action. The uh, department is floating the idea that the plutonium should be down-blended, mixed with some secret ingredient that the department believes will render it safe and stored in the troubled waste isolation pilot project storage facility in New Mexico. Richardson, who used to be governor in Mexico, said there'll be a lot of opposition there. And on the sanctity of treaties, Richardson said, I think that closing down the MOX facility would be a grave mistake across the board. Think the Russians have noticed? You know, they just might. They're, they're those kind of people. That's, that's, the, that's exactly the kind of people they are. Clean, cheap, too safe to meter our friends in the atom world that is to say our friend the atom uh, news of the Olympic movement just briefly while Addie's spinning out the door there is you know this tradition ladies and gentlemen that Olympic facilities kind of uh, you know go uh, pear-shaped, White Elephantville, after they're used for the games. Uh, Critics point to the uh, Bird's Nest Stadium in uh, Beijing, for example. Uh, London's Olympic Stadium is uh, still undergoing refurbishment for uh, future uses. But Athens, Athens, the people with the the good download speeds, uh, you know, they'd, they'd spent a lot of money building lavish stadiums for the 2004 Olympics. Many of them have sat forlorn and empty since then. Now they found a use for some of the stadiums. Housing refugees and migrants. Greek authorities reopened the Galatsi Olympic Hall this week to accommodate some of the people who have arrived in the country recently, according to the AP. About 500 people, mostly from Syria and Afghanistan. What's wrong there? were bussed to the stadium from Athens' central Victoria Square. Hundreds of refugees had been camping in around the square, prompting anger among locals. The Galazzi Olympic Hall had been used for table tennis and rhythmic gymnastics. We could give all the migrants ribbons and and, uh, hoops. Still there, probably. It was built at a cost of $61 million. 
post-Olympic plans to turn the venue, the building, into a venue for entertainment never came to fruition. I guess they just didn't have the entertainment. Venue is one of several that have remained unused in recent years. Greek authorities are said to be considering to open more to accommodate more refugees. So you see, Holden Olympics, house refugees. Don't tell Donald Trump. Did it really ding dong? 
It must have dinged wrong. It didn't ding long. Did it really ding dong? Hey, it must have dinged wrong. It didn't ding long. Did it really ding dong? It must have dinged wrong. It didn't ding long. Ladies and gentlemen, in addition to uh, learning from New Orleans, this is the show. In addition to learning this week that there's water on Mars, we learned something even more unbelievable. Uh, the CNN Democratic Party debate for possible presidential uh, not, candidates for the presidential nomination in the Democratic Party is going to be moderated not by Jake Tepper, Tapper, who uh, moderated the Republican debate on CNN. No, nor by Wolf Blitzer, who's moderated a million debates around the world. It's going to be moderated by Anderson Cooper, who's uh, busy right now getting ready. It's really so stupid. Mr. Trump, your uh, answer to that? Now, ladies and gentlemen, news of the inspectors general. The Pentagon's suicide prevention officer lacks clear guidance and authority to develop and execute effective programs. This leaves a vacuum that the military services filled with their own often inconsistent programs, according to the Defense Department inspector general. The Defense Suicide Prevention Officer Office, the DSPO, or the DISPO, I guess would be military, mill speak, was established in 2011 to develop and implement suicide prevention policies with an eye toward promoting resilience, mental fitness, and suicide awareness and prevention. But from its inception, says the IG, the office has a confusing governing structure and alignment of responsibilities under different committees within the office of the undersecretary, resulting in less than effective DOD strategic oversight that hampered implementation of suicide prevention programs. Sounds like the Pentagon, doesn't it? Investigators found that while DSPO has a strategic plan, it does not include guidance on measuring success, timelines for completing goals, or resources required to achieve the office's objectives. Well, that would be the big three, really, don't you think? I mean, having the key to the office door, I suppose. The strategic plan's shortfalls led to inconsistent approaches to suicide prevention among the services and failed to define a unified direction for the future. There is no evidence the strategic plan was a working document that was monitored and updated annually to ensure the organization's success. According to the IG, 130 active-duty troops died by suicide from January through June this year. Last year, 273 active-duty personnel took their own lives. Military suicides rose steadily from 2006 to 2009. They leveled off for two years, then increased sharply in 2012 at a high of 321 active-duty suicides. The IG report said that while a Department of Defense instruction and training plan for suicide prevention was drafted in 2013, it was never published. Well, they can go they could go look it up. It's in the thing right next to the other thing. And the special investi- uh, special inspector general for Afghanistan reconstruction reports among other things 
that spending over $8 billion on the counter-narcotics effort in Afghanistan has failed by every conceivable metric. So uh, the job is to think up a new metric. Purchasing nearly half a billion dollars worth of planes that never could fly and had to be turned into scrap metal is something we did. Uh, We built a building that, quote, literally melted before your eyes when it rained. That I would take that straight to Vegas. And uh, the United States built a half-million-dollar health clinic that included, or sorry, that didn't include water and electricity and resulted in washing newborns in the nearby river. It was good enough for the Bible, wasn't it? Mr. Inspector General. So we segue from that, of course, directly into news of APAC. The New York Times reports today that the hospital that was uh, leveled by a U.S. airstrike this weekend had been targeted by Afghan troops as recently as July. Uh, That was in a uh, protest by Doctors Without Borders, who who, uh, ran the hospital, uh, said that Afghan troops had come in and messed it up back then. The uh, United States is investigating how we happened to uh, hit that hospital. In the province of Kunduz, which uh, was taken over early this week by Taliban, hundreds of Taliban, forcing out thousands of Afghan army troops, forcing them to retreat. Uh, Later in the week, the Afghan forces staged a a rebuttal. (laughs) Is that what it's called in military terms? Uh, Trying to take Kunduz back. They're still fighting over Kunduz. And that's where the hospital was... uh, And the New York Times also reports that um, in his last phone call home, a Lance Corporal told his father what was troubling him. From his bunk in southern Afghanistan, he could hear Afghan police officers sexually abusing boys they had brought to the base. This was a Marine, Lance Corporal. All night we can hear them screaming, but we're not allowed to do anything about it. His father recalled his son telling him before he was shot to death at the base in 2012. My son said his officers told him to look the other way because it's their culture. Rampant sexual abuse of children has long been a problem in Afghanistan, particularly among armed commanders who dominate much of the rural landscape and can bully the population. The practice is called boy play. American soldiers and Marines have been instructed not to intervene in some cases, not even when their Afghan allies have abused boys on military bases. The policy has endured as American forces have recruited and organized Afghan militias to help hold territory against the Taliban. But soldiers and Marines have been increasingly troubled that instead of weeding out pedophiles, the American military was arming them and in some cases placing them as the commanders of villages and doing little when they began abusing children. It's, It's for the children. There was a, um, one, one uh, official is mentioned in particular, Sarwar John, a Afghan police commander, long had a bad reputation. Two Marine officers managed to persuade the Afghan authorities to arrest him following a litany of abuses, including corruption and child abduction. But two years later, he was back with a different unit. Lance Corporal Buckley in the Marines had noticed a large entourage of T-boys, domestic servants who are sometimes pressed into sexual slavery, had arrived with Sarwar John and moved into the same barracks, one floor below the Marines. 
Uh, John appears to have moved to a higher-ranking police command in the same province. In an interview with the New York Times, he did not, denied keeping boys as sex slaves or having any relationship with the boy who ultimately killed the three Marines. It's all untrue, said John, but people who know him, as according to New York Times, say he still suffers from, quote, a toothache problem, unquote. That is an Afghan euphemism for child sexual abuse. From Afghanistan Public Radio, where our pledge drive ends as soon as we start the next one. From the abandoned American television truck in downtown Kabul, where we can watch ourselves doing radio. Hello, Mom. I'm Mahmoud. <laughs> and I'm Hamid. We're Snicker and Bicker, the Stop It Brothers. <laughs> and this can't be anything but another edition of Karzai Talk. Today's program comes to you with the assistance of the Kunduz Convention and Visitors Bureau. Kunduz, come for the Taliban, stay for the food. <laughs> <laughs> well, my younger brother, mm -hmm. your successor promised a more inclusive government. Yes. But we had no idea he intended to include Taliban regional governors. <laughs> <laughs> yes, maybe too inclusive. <laughs> but to be fair, mm. Afghan security forces aren't doing that much worse than Iraqi security forces. Mm. Maybe it's the training. <laughs> <laughs> yes, perhaps next time our troops shouldn't get their training from the U.S. Army, mm. but from Trump University. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, that only taught people how to deal in real estate. So, and what are our troops fighting over? Land. Land. <laughs> <laughs> and I bet he doesn't let you sell his Humvees to the other side. <laughs> <laughs> no, unless he gets a cut of the deal. <laughs> Hello, you're on Cars I Talk. Hello, I'm Hanjul, a long-time provincial police commander, uh, first-time caller. Hanjul, welcome. Oh, indeed, I remember when you uh, came over from the other side. <laughs> <laughs> yes, those were the days. No, as I recall, one reason you switched uh, affiliations uh, is because the Taliban stopped helping you with your, uh, let's call it your toothache problem. Yes. It was brutal. Mm. Uh, you, you might want to uh, share with our listeners and remind us again, what exactly did they do to you? They gave me aspirins. Mm. Oh, those monsters. Uh, in fairness, as one of them explained, that they thought I really had a, a toothache problem. Those barbarians. Mm. So now that we've denounced the Taliban, mm -hmm. what can we do for you? Well, ironically, I am thinking of switching affiliations again, mm. uh, perhaps as early as, as the start of the next fiscal year oh. or the next fighting season, whichever comes first. I can't work the calendar on my smartphone. So. No, no, no. Why would you want to go back to the Taliban? Do you need aspirins? I've got plenty of aspirins, oh. but uh, Hamid, mm. your successor, is is pushing this uh, anti-corruption thing. Oh, I know, I know. It's his way of trying to keep our American friends from pulling out and trying their luck in Syria. Well, they review my expense report now every other month. Oh, those monsters. <laughs> they see all the costs for the upkeep of the... Uh, shall we say, the uh, teeth in my toothache uh, problem. Mm -hmm. And they say, these are so large, they must be for something else, some uh, corrupt payoffs to uh, some warlord. Ooh, such things have happened? <laughs> <laughs> I, I can't tell them the 
these are legitimate expenses for the upkeep of my stable of tea boys mm -hmm. because your successor has denounced that too. Mm -hmm. It's almost as if he's uh, forcing me over to the other side. Uh, have you tried inducing him to scale back his fixation on so-called corruption by <sighs> offering him, uh, I don't know, a new Toyota? Oh, will you stop selling? <laughs> <laughs> if I stop selling, you stop eating. <laughs> it may be true. Seriously, Hanjul, uh -huh. have you tried to reason with the new government? I mean, it doesn't make sense for you to be paying off the warlord in your area. You are the warlord in your area. <laughs> yes, I told them that, and they said, prove it. Oh, don't tell me. You lost your warlord certificate. <laughs> <laughs> the computer guy from the government once told me we'd soon be living in a paperless society. Mm. For goodness sake, that's how I've always been living. <laughs> well, good luck with your decision, Hanjul. Uh, Remember, the Taliban don't always keep their promises. I see. Mm. Uh, that's how I can tell them apart from all the other people who don't keep their promises. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for the call. Oh, he sounded bitter. Mm -hmm. Probably a side effect from all the aspirins. <laughs> <laughs> hello, you're on cars, I talk. Uh, hello, it's Jim in Kunduz. Uh, long time, not a real name. Uh, first time caller. Jim, you're where everybody wants to be away from. Uh, thanks for checking in with us. Yes, yes. Uh, who's in charge there right now? Uh, what day is it? <laughs> uh, no, seriously, I can't get the calendar to work on my smartphone. This is the last time uh, I buy advanced electronics from the Taliban. Oh, I think they're religiously opposed to advanced electronics. Uh, that would explain it. <laughs> <laughs> so, Jim, mm -hmm. as long as you're getting the phone to work on your smartphone, yes. do you have a question for us? Uh, yes, as you know, the local hospital uh, was destroyed by an American airstrike uh, a day or so ago. Yes, it was uh, collateral damage, but uh, yes, it was destroyed. It was collateral destruction. <laughs> <laughs> So I was uh, wondering, uh, since I have some conditions that need medical attention, mm -hmm. uh, what was the purpose of bombing the hospital? It served everyone, regardless of political affiliation. Well, I'm not privy to official briefings on any of this. Oh, he's lucky they still send him the service updates on the Toyotas, he says. <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes. But it seems to me that if you're helping everyone, that means... You're helping the enemy. And since citizens under government control get better diets than those who are governed by the Taliban, they're statistically more likely to survive the lack of medical attention. Also, my friend, mm -hmm. the hospital in question was a public facility which stands in the way of the goal for our country, which is a healthcare system based in the private sector, just like the one the Americans have. Oh, now wait. How does destroying a hospital help achieve that goal, dear brother? Gets rid of the unfair competition. <laughs> <laughs> so, caller, mm -hmm. enjoy your statistical advantage. Thank you. And thank you for the call. And thank you. We had help today from Goatheads.com. When you're playing the national sport, you need the national goathead. <laughs> Legal services for cars I talk from the law firm of Ketchum and Lukum. I'm Hamid. And I'm Mahmoud. Join us again for another edition of Cars I Talk. Still not in reruns. Only the war is. <laughs> <laughs> this is APR, Afghanistan Public Radio.
Gentlemen, the apologies of the week. So sorry. Deadline right here in New Orleans. A U.S.-based oil rig repair company has apologized to hundreds of Indian guest workers drawn to the Gulf Coast through false promises and housed in squalid conditions. They were brought over here to help with damage repairs after the 2005 flood. The apology is part of a $20 million settlement that Signal International of Mobile Alabama, Mobile, Alabama agreed to in July, according to the Southern Poverty Law Center. That group and others had sued Signal on behalf of the guest workers, called it one of the largest labor trafficking cases in history. Signal hired roughly 500 Indian welders and ship fitters after the flood and the hur- following the hurricane in a rush of repair work on storm-damaged oil equipment and rigs. The... Uh, company sent a letter dated late last month to the guest workers apologizing for its actions. Signal didn't return a message seeking comment from the Associated Press, which obtained a copy of the apology letter. This is a, from Philadelphia Magazine. Tom McGrath, Philly Magazine editor, writes, quote, We just posted the online version of this month's magazine cover story on how to choose a school for your child. Given the controversy the cover image has generated, I wanted to make a few comments. We blew it with the cover photograph which we've chosen not to republish here online, to include not even one African-American child on the cover fails to reflect not just the diversity that exists at the school where the photo was taken, but also that within the city of Philadelphia. I'll offer no excuses here about process, etc. At the end of the day, I chose this photo for the cover, and it was without question the wrong choice. I apologize for my failings in judgment and for our insensitivity. Unquote. Dayline Washington scores of Secret Service employees improperly accessed the decade-old unsuccessful job application of a congressman who was investigating scandals inside the Secret Service. An assistant director suggested leaking the embarrassing information to retaliate against Republican Representative Jason Chaffetz of the House Oversight Committee. The actions by the civil, uh, sorry, the Secret Service employees could represent cr- criminal violations of the U.S. Privacy Act, said the report by the Inspector General of the Homeland Security Department. Two senior senior Secret Service supervisors were probably drunk when they drove through emergency... Where's the... Oh, Homeland Security Secretary Jay Johnson personally apologized to Chaffetz this week. Johnson did not disclose whether any employees had been punished. It's intimidating, Chaffetz says. It's what it was supposed to be. Johnson said those responsible should be held accountable, but didn't provide further details. Dayline Westchester, Pennsylvania, an apology letter was issued from the director of Westchester University Sykes Student Services for the inappropriate sale of a six-inch inflated-date doll at the campus bookstore. Six inches. The inflatable female and male dolls from Sensational Inflatables said to inflate for an instant date. The university spokesperson said the dolls were a gag gift for Valentine's Day. The dolls are labeled as self-inflating, but it states you have to hit the doll to inflate it. Director of Student Services said via email that Student Services sincerely regrets and apologizes for the inappropriate sale of a six-inch inflated date doll. It was insensitive and contrary to the mission and values of the university and student services. 
The university has implemented steps to prevent such products from being sold in the bookstore. ABC's Nightline was forced to apologize after a promo for Tuesday night's interview with actress Priyanka Chopra mistakenly included video of a different Bollywood star and former beauty contestant, Yukta Mukli. Muki, sorry. The error was caught quickly and shared on social media. And five years after the merger that created United Continental Holdings, newly installed CEO Oscar Munoz has come to a stark conclusion. The marriage is in trouble, according to the Denver Post. In an interview, Munoz acknowledged that the menu- merger had been poorly managed. He declined to discuss the federal probe into United's dealing with the Port Authority of New York that led to the abrupt ouster of his predecessor. The experience of our customers has to be what we want it to be, he says, looking to the future. United took ads in eight newspapers, including the Denver Post, in which Munoz apologizes for not meeting expectations and vows to improve. Oh, United meets my expectations. Absolutely. I've flown them enough. My expectations are calibrated perfectly now. The Apologies of the Week, ladies and gentlemen, a copyrighted feature of this broadcast. Ladies and gentlemen, that's going to conclude this week's edition of the show. The program returns next week at the same time over these same stations over NPR worldwide throughout Europe, the USN 440 cable system in Japan, around the world, through the facilities of the American Forces Network, up and down the east coast of North America via the shortwave giant WBCQ, around the world via the Internet at two different locations, live and archived whenever you want it, harryshearer.com and kcsn.org. On the Mighty 104 in Berlin, on Soho Radio in London, Available for your smartphone through Stitcher.com. And available as a free podcast from iTunes, SoundCloud, Sideshow Network, TuneIn Radio, and iTunes. And it'd be just like keeping that waste disposal site in West Texas open until the waste comes in from Vermont Yankee. If you'd agree to join with me then. Would you already? Thank you very much. Uh Uh-huh. Tibidla Show Chapeau to the San Diego, Pittsburgh, Chicago in exile, and Hawaii desks. Thanks, as always, to Pam Halstead and to Jenny Lawson here at WWNO in New Orleans for help with today's broadcast. The email address for this program, playlist of the music you hear, heard, or hear, and Cars I Talk t-shirts. Your chance to buy them, wear them, wash them, dry them, all of that at harryshare.com. And me, I'm the Harry Shearer on the Twitter. The show comes to you from Century of Progress Productions and originates through the facilities of WWNO New Orleans flagship station of the Change is Easy radio network so long from New Orleans.